Just like that, the show begins, Roxanne. That's oh. it. Just like that, we've started. Oh my gosh. You like that? It's nerve-wracking. Is it? Completely yeah. nerve-wracking. That's so interesting. What's more crazy is I learned today that this is your first trip to Vegas. Right. It blows my mind. Right, considering... You know, my life. Your past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say checkered, but I'm not going to say it's a checkered past. It's just a past. It's eclectic. Yes. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So what's your deal? So, yeah, I stumbled across your Instagram, I don't know, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, uh, I haven't had uh, anyone that does what you do uh, yet, which is like addiction recovery specialist. I haven't had that on the show yet. And we've got plenty of addicts. I mean, the show is called Action Junkies. <laughs> so clearly we've got uh, on the gambler highway, a bunch of degenerates that watch this show that probably are going to be sliding into your DMs at some point saying, help me. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before we get to all that, like, so tell me about you. So you are actually in recovery. I am. But it's weird. So you're always in recovery once. Is that the term you'll use like forever? Like, cause you're already 11 years. Like I would almost say you have recovered. No. So, um, you know, I guess it's like very dependent upon how you feel and how you think for me, I'm always in recovery and, um, both the personal experience as well as the science behind recovery. We have this uh, understanding of recovery. The general population has a understanding of recovery as like, okay, I use drugs and now I don't. I haven't used them this long, so I'm recovered. But recovery is actually more of this process of um, rebuilding in your life, of living like a self-directed life of um, you know, looking at different areas of your life and how you can improve. So for me, um, you know, it'll always be kind of like, you know, obviously I'd never want to go back to using drugs, but for me, recovery is far more than any of that. But when people first get to recovery, that's very scary to tell them, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, we tell them just focus on not using, right. um, all the rest of that will come later on. Hmm. And what was your drug of choice? If I can ask, Am I... yeah, so, um, I, at the end, I was an IV heroin and cocaine addict. Mm -hmm. um, I IV? Yes. M meaning? Needles, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, I, um, I went, I was in prison. Really? I was homeless. Oh, yeah, wow. I'm like a, a, yeah. How old were you when you started using? So when I started using cocaine, I was 19. Okay. Um, but when I, it became pretty apparent from when I was 16, I had my first drink that I probably was going to have a problem because I drank till I got sick. Really? And, um, and, and why? Because home life was upside down? 
Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I knew you were going to touch on this, so I wanted to be respectful of my family. But I guess I do come from the quintessential. Like, um, I had a um, you know addiction in my family. It's genetic. Yeah. Uh, my mom was young. My father was young. My father had his own problems with addiction, um, poverty. Um, you know, some things that really happened in my life that, you know, I'm sure looking back, my parents would change if they could. So, but I'm definitely the quintessential, like looking back at my life and going, oh, that makes sense. Right, why right. she would of course you turn did. to drugs. Yeah. Right. So, um, but when I was 19, I, I did a line of cocaine and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to do this every day. Right. And that was like a big red flag, right? Because, yeah. you know. It just, it took away all that like pain and insecurity and everything that I felt. Yeah. Um, and then along the lines came the Oxycontin. So I'm part of the era that was like when they were dishing out Oxycontin. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, I was, um, I actually have cocaine induced grand mal seizures. Really? Yes. Still to this day? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Only if I were to use cocaine. Got they, it. They do come Like when on. you go in, it's like when you're having withdrawal from... No, no, just just doing it. Just doing and it can it. cause it. Really, it can, they, anyone can have a cocaine-induced seizure, um, but once you get them, you're more susceptible. Okay. So um, the solution to my cocaine-induced seizures was oxycontin. Okay, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, because what would happen is I would be up for days, and you know I'd end up having a seizure. So I right. took an oxy, and uh, you know, which is like basically it's an opiate, and mm -hmm. um, you know, it's almost like what heroin does, and um, I got addicted to those and I didn't realize, you know, until it was too late and eventually that became too expensive and I just went to heroin. Wow. Because heroin is cheap to get. Well, it, yes. In comparison. In comparison. I will uh, specify that um, I don't know how it is out here in Vegas, but in, uh, you know, I'm from New England and mm -hmm. we don't really have heroin anymore. It's very much all fentanyl. Okay. So, um, but. Which is crazy dangerous, right? Like just Super the, dangerous. My, we were just looking at this literally last week online. My girlfriend was like showing me the amount of fentanyl that you need to kill you. It's like, she showed me a picture. It's crazy. It is. It is. It's, um, and. It's laced in a lot of things, at least out in right. Uh, they New cut England. it in ecstasy or everything. And Molly, right? It's and, like go ahead. cocaine, also, right? Like it's 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 in everything, right? And the way that opiates work, if you don't have a tolerance, which is built by doing it every day, mm -hmm. and you get hit with it, um, you know, you could just die. So you have these people that are just you know dying that are probably not even addicts at this point. They're are you know they're just like experimenting, right. or they just whatever. recreational users. And, um, you know, it's like they just do cocaine. They got it from someone. They were like, oh, whatever. They did a line. That's it. They're gone. And it's very sad, especially when experimentation begins, you know, normally in your late teens, your early 20s. Right. So they don't even have time to develop an, uh, an addiction if they were going to anyways. Right. Wow. That's crazy. And how long? So you, you tried coke for the first time when you were 19. Mm -hmm. How? And then when did prison happen? What age? 22. Wow. So it's, isn't that just wild how just three years, I mean, it doesn't even have to take three years, but like that is so quick to completely derail your life from a first time using something at a party, whatever, fun, whatever, to like if someone would have told you that first day you did that first line, hey, in three years, you're going to be in prison. You would have been like, you're crazy. Right. Um, I mean, I looking back now, like I, I knew I had a problem, like right away, I started using cocaine all the time. At the time I was, uh, you know, I was an exotic dancer. Mm -hmm. So I was making a lot of money and the accessibility was there. Um, so I used it all the time. Um, I, but I, 
did not imagine ever being like an IV drug user. I never imagined being homeless. Um, never really imagined like going to prison for it. These were things that I just kind of like just th when you're in it, you're there. And then all of a sudden you're like, what the hell just happened? Right. 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 Wow. And so when you went to prison, what was the actual charge? Was it a possession charge or possession? Right. So <laughs> no one's ever going to want to hang out with me. Yeah. Again. <laughs> no, you're all right. Well, this is 11 years ago or whatever. Well, more than that, probably. Um, it was a stolen motor vehicle. Okay. Um, I like yeah. the way you roll. I like it. I mean, if you're going to, you know, you're a go big or go home kind of person. I like that. I am. Um, I will say I ended up I put myself in a really crappy situation. The person refused to take me home. So I was like, well, I'm just going to have to take your car then. <laughs> and uh, when I they did, when I did, they called the police. I got pulled over and I had, you know, drugs. on my Like you possession. were at like a house party or something? I was at someone's house, yes. And I was like, <laughs> I, I need it. to go home. And they were like, you know, I'll take you in the morning. But the time I had a heroin addiction and like, that doesn't work well when you're going to go with, through withdrawals. And right. I was like, oh, no, you need to take me home. And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, well. Yeah, I'm going anyways. <laughs> and you just grabbed the keys? I just grabbed the keys and left. And they knew that, that you did it right then? Or did was it at least kind of sly the way you did oh, it? Oh, no, it wasn't. I'm looking, I'm looking you idiot. just grabbed it and I walked out the door with left. keys. They called the cops. Yeah. And then, boom. How long were you in prison? So that's... You, that's literally GTA, right? <laughs> Chase, <laughs> little Grand Theft Auto. That's literally Grand Theft Auto. I like it. You <laughs> invented the video game before it even existed, right, basically. Right. Yeah. But um, I like to think of it as sexy right. GTA. Like, okay. You know I, mean? I mean, I probably yeah. didn't look sexy at the time because I had been using for a while. But um, but yeah, so actually I didn't do that much. I didn't do a lot of time because it's my first offense, right. you know. And uh, But they, I got out two weeks later. I went back to use California, that's not even illegal anymore. You can just take what you want. I don't I don't know if I think so. I don't know. I'm making really? that up. No, I mean, I'm making that oh, maybe up. Maybe I but, shouldn't yeah. move to California. No, don't go there. No. <laughs> yeah. Anything goes in California now. Um, sorry. But anyway, so uh, so you didn't do that much time. No. And then I got out. Um, but when you, what's what's not that much time? Two weeks. Oh, that's not bad. No. Okay. But that still probably felt like a long time, no? Well, yeah, because for me, you got to remember, I'm being taken out of using. I'm using every day, all day long at this right. time. And now I'm being put in a situation where I have to face the reality of my life. Right. So um, I'm like, what the hell? You know, I don't want to be here. I'm right. going to get high because I don't want to I don't want to sit and look at what's going on. And they didn't make you go into like a rehab or something at, right out of prison or no? No. So what happened was I got out and then I got arrested again two weeks later. Okay. Um, not for Grand Theft Auto. What was this one for? Um, I was walking down the street, and the cops were like, "All right, this girl." I was not in a good neighborhood, and they Got were it. like, "They thought you were you were you were working." They thought I was working, okay. and I was up to no good. And uh, so they pulled over, pulled over. They grabbed my purse, and I had heroin in it. Got and it. Um, so I went in front of the judge, and the judge was like, "Same no. judge." Face, I believe it was the same judge. Okay. So yeah, they're like, "Were you here like two weeks ago?" Right. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they were like, okay, you're going to go away for 60 days. But if at 30 days you want to go to rehab, I'll take you out of prison and we'll send you to a rehab. Okay. Is that what you did? It is. But, you know. That doesn't would, help you get sober, right? It's, it goes on that. It's, you have to want You have to want to be sober. Well, so that's the thing. A lot of people think you need to want to do it for your, yourself. And I think that looking back now at this last time, you know, coming up when I came back into recovery, because I have gotten recovery a couple times, um, not for, you know, I had 30 days. I had, um, you know, eight months when I was, I did an eight month uh, prison stint. So I had eight months, you know. From if, that second time? Um, no, I think eight months was the third time I went in. Okay. 
And, uh, you know, so recovery is very non-linear. A lot mm -hmm. of people believe, see that, um, you know, you're going to be in recovery. Like, oh, they got in recovery. Everything's going to be great. And really um, what we know is that people need to keep trying to figure out what works for them. And, um, and what the research says is that it takes about two to three attempts before someone will mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> find that stability in their recovery. That's also very much dependent on substance use severity, um, you know, there's like mental health stuff that, but about two to three yep. roughly. And so, um, you know, I went in and I, and when I said I would go to, to, to rehab, I really meant I wanted to go. Um, I went for three days and was like, I can't handle life. Cause that's mm. essentially what was going on for me. I had no coping skills. Mm -hmm. So my coping skill was drugs. Right. And I was there, I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I've destroyed my life. I'm going back out and using. And when I get picked up, I don't know, like maybe a week later on a, cause technically I'm violating what the judge's order is. Yep. Um, that's when he said, you got you got to go away for a little while. Wow. And eight months, that's a long time. I mean, yeah, I, it's, no, it's, I mean, did... I've been in prison. So relative, if other people who have been in prison have been in prison, they're like, that's not a long time. Right. I get it. But like, but to a, to a normal person, you right. know, I mean, I got, I got, I ended up in jail for four hours over a tinted windows ticket that I never, that I never fixed. There's LA for you. <laughs> um, and it felt like forever, oh, okay. four hours, Yeah, like eight months had to be, no, was it like torture? Yeah. I mean, it's like for, well, for me, my whole life was chaotic anyway. So here I am in this place where I'm getting three meals a day. They're doing my laundry. Like, you know, at the, and at that time, cause this is 2008. Okay. So at that time there was a, a rehabilitation program in the prison that I got sentenced to. So, you know, I was learning skills and stuff like that. Um, but then I got let out again and told to go to rehab again. 17 days later, I, I ended up using and it just was, a, a, there's been a lot of bumpy roads. My, my, my uh, journey has been very up and down, up and down until uh, May 4th of 2012, where I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I was going to ask. So why, what made that different? Um, well, I think there's a couple things. First is like, you know, I'm aging, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 27 at the time. Mm -hmm. It's one thing when you're 22, you know, I had just gone to prison for two weeks in uh, that March and it was like, I woke up one day and I'll never forget the the correctional officers were younger than me. Mm. And I was like, who the hell is this punk ass 19 year old trying to tell me what to do? Right. And it dawned on me that I'm like, okay, I'm like, I have to be told what to do by right. a 19 year old. No offense. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Like, and, uh, and then I had been let out and um, I was just tired. I had done a whole year out in the streets. A lot of really bad things happen because I'm a woman out yeah, in sure. you know inner city, um, and I was so tired. I had lost everything. I mean, I had nothing. I had no car, no license, no place to live, um, no food. I had clothes that I had on my back. Um, you know, I was just sh a shell. And yeah. I was woke up. You know, uh, I overdosed on May third. Um, I woke up in an ambulance. And overdosed on heroin. Heroin. Um, and then I woke up on May 4th and I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Wow. And how long did it take for you to get out of like what I'd say the call the red zone? Maybe like, like, was that 30 days, 90 days, six months? <laughs> so it takes about a good year for you to be considered stable in recovery. Okay. Um, 
you know, we were granted with this uh, this gift of like a pink cloud in the beginning. Um, and then like right around six months kind of life shows you like, oh, crap, you know, I'm not I'm not up to speed with my peers, you right. know, things that that, that kind of get to you. But if you can look past that and kind of just keep going and recognize like I had to say to myself, yeah, I'm not up to speed with my peers, but like, um, you know shooting heroin isn't going to make it any better. So right. I had to like keep going. Right. So about a year, 18 months, we call it a post-acute withdrawal. Um, a lot of people, again, they feel like, oh, they got 30 days. Why aren't they being a great dad? Why aren't they being right. a great husband? It's like, dude, you're like so out of it. Right. You're like, don't know what's here, what's there. Yeah. You, you know. And at 30 days, any hiccup in life can still push you back. I mean, I would imagine, like at what point did, did an overwhelming amount of stress not trigger you back to using or even a little bit right like because that's right. the that's the key right is like can you handle even a little bit of stress yeah. and not go back to it can you handle a little more a little more a little more you know right that's the that's what happens with people right so i mean stress is a huge yeah. um you know uh trigger but it's like you have to learn how to like deal with your stress right i remember i had six months in recovery and my phone broke you remember, I didn't have help from my family. We were in that position. And I'm grateful my family didn't help me. And I'm not telling anyone what to do. But, like, my family was like, good luck. And wow. um, and, and uh, that was, they were picking, like, tough love as the, as. Yeah. And, and what are your thoughts on tough love? Um, You know, I think that I have a, I'm really stubborn. <laughs> And I think that my family knew what to, how to deal with me. My father had had struggled himself and knew mm -hmm. like we we have to let her fall. Yeah. Um. There and, and there are other, so hard. Right. And so I think that um, they were there. They were supportive, but they weren't going to send me. Money. They couldn't really, honestly. But right. even if they could, I'm not so sure they would. I I had to work really hard. And I think looking back for me, that was like it. It has saved me in a lot of ways because I'm like I am not going back to square zero. Yeah. Um. Other people's personalities, I'm not so sure about tough love. Maybe like, you know, I guess it's just really dependent on the person. You yeah. know. Um. I think there's a difference though. People think tough love is is like you know belittling people and like no one was ever like mean to me they were like we love just you cut you off they just they don't enable you they don't yeah i mean and, and enabling such like a, a one of those words they just were kind of like you can come for dinner we love you but no we're not putting you in a recovery house you need to figure that out you need to go get a job you need right. to figure this out hmm. i i uh i was telling you in the car on the way over i i had a, a family member that had problems with heroin and um it got to the point where everyone in his immediate family kind of like turned their back kind of tough love thing you know figure it out and i was the one that would still send him money and um even knowing where it's going right. but my i always looked at it like well he's gonna get it right. he's you you when you're in that zone and you want it mm -hmm. whether it's coke or to gamble or whatever dr drinking whatever it is you're going to figure out how to get it and you'll do whatever the fuck it takes to get it robbing people right. robbing a store whatever so i just looked at it like and i'm curious what your thoughts are on this like i thought he's gonna get it anyway i'd almost rather be the person to get it to him so that he doesn't get in more trouble mm -hmm. is, is that probably fucked up from for me to no, do no actually it's <laughs> not i have a good friend that's um you know we were in prison together a recovery like you know we were in a recovery house together um we've been we've used together and uh, they're still out there on the street and 
when I see her, um, I will give her money and people will say, why? And it's like, well, because I know what she does to get it. Right. And I, and I would rather her take a break and relax. Right. Um, you know, it's so interesting. Like my thoughts, like it's, it's wild, right? Because we have my individual experience, but then like, think about the people who are like celebrities. Yeah. They don't run out of money. Right. So why do sometimes they, they do sometimes, they but don't. yeah, they're not running out of like but money and people, even if they do, they can get it right. They can get more money. Right. So Robert I, Downey Jr. Perfect example. Oh my God. I love him. I mean, that guy was completely upside down. There was a period of, I'm not sure how many years it was. It felt like three to five years maybe where he just couldn't get it right. Oh my God. Yeah. Couldn't get it right. 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 And like Eminem, like yeah. money, that guy was not running out. These people are not running out of money. Right. And even if they did, they would just show up at someone's house. And they'd be like, oh my God. Right. Eminem's here. Throw, you know what I mean? It's not going to be an wants. issue. Right? right. So, um, you know, people, it, it's really about what you feel. If you're the person who is watching someone. Yeah. If you feel like you want to give them money, fine if it's yeah. well with you if it's yeah. if, it, if you don't then don't yeah and i think that people when it comes to addiction and recovery people want to know like what do i do what is one plus one equals two and it's, it's not all the different way, it does not the way it works i agree yeah and like in in this case with with my uh my family member i um i also thought well if i'm the one that he knows he can count on I also can get information because like when you, when everyone in the family turns their back on someone, you also get to a point where I don't know. I haven't talked to him. I don't know how to reach him. I haven't talked to him. I don't know if he's alive or dead. So I just looked at it like there needs to be one guy on the, in the world that can at least give you an update. And if, if I'm the person that gives him the money then I get his, I have his trust. He knows like, okay, I can count on John. So at least I have that. Like, so at least maybe at some point there might be a window where I can be the voice of reason or I can help get him help because he trusts me. At least I have access to him. That's how I looked at it. Right. So, and I think that, and that was okay for you. As right. long as it's not hurting you and destroying your life. Right. There are some people they have to turn a blind eye. They cannot handle it. They right. need to walk away. And yeah. again, that's why, you know, addiction is not, it's a family disease, we call it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's something that affects everyone in the immediate circle, right? And so I always, when people come to me, because I do, I get a lot of people that reach out and they say, what am I supposed to do? And I tell, it's funny, I tell them, I was like, well, have you gotten help for yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, have you gone to Al-Anon? Have you gone to Naranon? Have you talked to your own therapist? Like, because ultimately you cannot save that person. Right. That, what is going to happen is going to happen. Um, I've had people in my life who I love very much and you know, I, I had seven years in recovery and there was somebody that, I mean, I was like not willing to let go. I was like calling CEOs in the middle of the night to get them into treatment the next day. I was doing, you know, I was, I was doing anything I could. Cause in my mind, it's like, hello, this is what I study. This is what right. I do. How can you not, I have all the answers, take it. Right. And I couldn't give that to that person. And looking back now, I realize it's just my big, big ass ego, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I can save you. And I couldn't. And uh, I mean, they're doing well now. And they're not even like really that connected to me. And um, it's like they I, I had to walk away from me. I had to say from me because I'm also in recovery and I couldn't handle it. And I mean, drugs were falling out of like, you know, visors onto my lap. I remember flushing <laughs> fentanyl down the and like and to this day, I mean, I've I have uh, I've had surgeries. I've flushed my perks. I've flushed 
And I'm like shaking. I'm like, sh you know, because it's like so like, I can't oh, believe right. I'm throwing Meaning, drugs you away. You mean since being sober, you've had surgery and then they pain pills come with the surgery. But you know, if I take this, it's going to open up a whole can of worms. So you have to just deal with the pain. No. So that's another thing that some people like will say, well, well, I'll just, you know, get through it. It's like, well, I mean, we are also human, right? right? So I had two children and I had cesareans and I had to take. I mean, I don't, if anyone doesn't know, when you have a cesarean, you have a baby, it's not like they let you rest. They're like, here's your kid, right? right. So good luck. And you got to get up and you got to feed yeah. the baby. So I, what I did was I, um, I took, so I always know that like, you know, I took half the script. I, I, I immediately got rid of half of it. Um, and then I gave the script to, uh, my husband at the time. And, and he managed it for you. And then I would say, you know, this is, and I would take, instead of taking like one every six hours, I mean, one every four hours, I took one every six. Mm -hmm. And then um, I told my network of people at the time, I told my sponsor and a few women, I said, listen, Friday is coming. That's the last day I'm at home. I get to take my, will you come to my house and help me? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. So they came to my house like a mafia gang mm -hmm. and they were like, you're done. You're done. And flushed. And that was it, you know? And, uh, and I cried. Because mm. it was like, I got that moment, that feeling of like, ah, oh, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Yeah, that euphoria right. comes back, right? And, uh, and then I had other surgery and, and, I, and I woke up from surgery. And then the next morning, I was like, oh, no, I'm not in pain. But nobody like, knew mm -hmm. but me, right? So I could take him if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. But we have the saying, to thine own self be true. And I was like, shit. Right? Yeah. I was like, okay, I'll hold on. Maybe the anesthesia, whatever. Right. If I need one at night, I'll take it. Nighttime came, fell asleep, fine. I woke up that next day. I was like, I went a whole day without taking one. So I was like, okay. My friend came over. They were in shock. They were like, you're really going to flush that whole script of Percocet? I was like, yeah, because to you, this is, to, to most people, this is a script of Percocet. To me, this is death. Right. To me, this is my children growing up without their mother. To me, this is me back out on the streets. To me, this is just a whole bunch of hell. So yeah, I'm going to flush it. Good for you. And I did. Wow. And what about now today? Any issues? Like any, like, like, so were you, was there any anxiety in coming to Vegas? Because this is like, this is interpreted as like a free for all out here, right? Like, did you have any like, oh fuck, Vegas, first time Vegas or no? No. Um, you know, so it's funny because people were like, isn't that ironic that you're going to Vegas and you right. have about recovery? I was like, no, that's exactly where I need to be. Mm -hmm. talking about recovering in Vegas. So if you're using and you're listening to this and you're in Vegas, I'm screwing your high up right now. Yeah. Because now you know there's a different way. Yeah. So, and I feel like, you know, I came and, you know, um, the only thing that I remotely ever feel like I kind of like, damn, is like, I would like to have a glass of wine, white wine. And so, you know, when I, but when I come out here, I stay connected. I looked up places to go to meetings. So I'm going to hit up a meeting nice. around here. And, you know, I just don't, I don't go to places I shouldn't be by myself. That's right. it. And I mean, I, uh, yeah. And was drinking uh, ever a problem for you? Shopping. Anything is a problem for me. Shopping, drinking, Anything. wigs. At the time, I went through a wig phase. Really? I did. It's a weird phase. I did. I bought, um, I, I bought a lot of wigs in a very yeah? short amount of time. I was, I will use anything I can use to escape from myself, right? Got it. And that's essentially what addiction is. Right. So recovery is the opposite. Recovery is building a life you don't wish to escape from. But there are times when, um, you know, I lost my best friend to a drug overdose in mm. October of 2021. And uh, I actually found them. And um, mm. they were my best friend. Like at the time I had nine and a half years. We had been 
the whole thing together. And uh, oh, so this was a relapse. Oh yeah. Right. Oh wow. They had some time, and uh, and I saw I saw it coming. I called it out, and uh, but I did found- the pandemic have anything to do with it? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I think that they had a lot of, so again, they had a lot of things going on in life. And when they relapsed, they had like four years, right? So they, like everything is fine until it's not fine, right? Yeah. So they had, you know, they they started a family. They were fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And so they, you know, whatever. And then their dad got sick and, uh, and then they lost another family member and so I think a lot of stress really yeah. hit them. And so eventually they just ended up using again and then, you know, I found them. So I like to look at recovery as like, so you guys talk about UFC here a lot, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you so, a fan? Yeah. Oh, shit. In my mind, okay. I'm like the heavyweight champion. <laughs> like, I don't care about these right. big ass dudes. I'm like, you got nothing right. on me. I've been You've through You've been through trenches. life. Like, yeah. hello. I mean, I have, I have used in ways that grown men would, would be like, I can't hang out with this chick. <laughs> nah. Right. You can't, you can't roll with me. But, uh, <laughs> so heavyweight like like so when you're preparing for a fight right everyone sees the big fight right right but they don't see you every day if that guy yeah. just jumped in the ring right without like preparing right they're gonna get their ass knocked out right right, right. but they go every day and they prepare it's like they eat well yep. they have a coach they take care of their body mind spirit until the one day that big fight comes right yep. so the big fight for me is the day could be once or twice a year where i'm like you know what? I could really use a line of cocaine mm-hmm. right now, or I could really use a drink. Yeah. And so I continue to go to meetings. I continue to stay connected. I continue to take care of my mental health and stuff. And when you don't do that, and and then the big fight happens, you're not ready. Right. So when I found my best friend dead, my immediate like you know I was in shock, and then two hours later I was at a meeting. Wow. Because I had been going to meetings for, so, I've been going. So my right. first reaction was to go, I, I got to get to a meeting because yeah. they're dead. There's no coming back, right? And now what am I going to do? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I have to get to a meeting. Yeah. And so I was prepared for that. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, you know, over the last, it's been almost, what, 16? So like, you know, last year was a rough year. I was shopping a lot, you know, but I just didn't use, you know, I was... Mm -hmm. Just not making the best decisions, but no matter what, I didn't use. And trading like one addiction to the other type of thing, like into shopping? Yeah, into shopping right. and like, you know, um, just just doing things that maybe like weren't the best, like dating people I probably shouldn't have been dating. Like, right. no offense to them, but you know, like just kind of like they were just being in positions I shouldn't have been in. Right. And, uh, you know, I didn't use, but one of the things, obviously, but one of the things is I, I still stayed connected no matter what. Still went to meetings. Um, and I could say that about two months ago, I started to feel a lot better where I felt like more like my old self. Um, you mentioned dating. So like, so if you were going to date someone and they drink non-starter for you, no, it doesn't bother me. 
Um, I mean, if you're an alcoholic, I don't think right. that's going to work out. Um, but what about like, 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 I'm just like, he has a glass of wine, red wine at dinner, and then he kisses you, you taste the wine. Problem? No problem. No problem. No problem. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to date, though. I'm hard to date. Yeah? Yeah. Why? You know, just imagine, right? You're sitting across from me. I'm getting my PhD. Right. You know, so I'm, you know, whatever. You're like, oh, this sounds like a really great. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, you used to shoot dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I get, I get things like, uh, I get. But everyone has a past. It's probably more your issue than their issue. I don't know. I've had some people say some wild When they find stuff. out and they're oh, like, yeah. oh, really? Yeah. Some really mean and wild stuff. What's worse for them, the dancing piece or the drugs well, piece? No one's upset that I, I know how to be. Uh, right. I mean, they're like, can I put a pole in my room? Okay. I'm like, sure. But like, no one's upset about that. Yeah. I think that people, like, sometimes people, like, how am I going to introduce this? Like, they, they, how am I going to introduce this to my mom? Like, I'm a convicted felon, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to tell mom that. But right. like, I mean, this is who I am and this sure. is what I do. And, you know, I think that part of my story involves telling the world that like, hey, you can go from this person, like right. this, from addiction and my whole life destroyed to now like, yeah, I'm in Vegas. Yeah. John Orlando. Yeah. There you an go. an action podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we, we had a guy on the show a few months ago. Um, you'll have to come back and do his show, actually. Um, his name's Adam Clausen. He has a podcast called Gridability. Ooh, and um, Adam was once sentence he's from back east also he was once sentenced to 213 years in prison oh my god for armed robbery oh um i and, like him already yeah <laughs> and he got out in 20 um okay. but if you met this guy it's it's almost impossible like i can't even picture him doing any of those right. things like it's just like he looks like a congressman or he looks like a <laughs> <laughs> like a like a politician or a car salesman or a, an executive. He's married. Yeah, he actually oh. met his wife, who's phenomenal, uh, while he was in prison. It's kind of a crazy story, but wow. um, yeah, yeah, I'll send oh, you the link to the show. She wasn't in prison. No, she stuck with him through the thing. She would met him while he was in. That's cool. So I have. Yeah. I've I've ventured down that. Yeah. Down that where I've written a prison. Like, really? Inmate. Yeah. Well, because I was an inmate, right? Right. So I know what it's like. Right. So I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. Let me write to him. And it's, you know. Yeah. Never. It didn't go well for me. Yeah. But for them, it went well. I like, know. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. I'm going to send you a link to it. But yeah, it's it's interesting to me. Um, the trading addictions is always an interesting one. Right. Um, and it's very common, right? Right. So no one's going to say anything to me if I decide to. So this is the thing. I do think that my addiction is a superpower if I use it for good. Like no one's going to. I could say, like if we think, look at addiction, right? What is addiction? Obsession, compulsion. Yeah. Like you're preoccupied with what's going yep. on. You'll get, you'll, you'll let everything else go to the side. Right. So, I mean, I could look at you and say, I think, you you know, you're addicted to work. A hundred percent. Right. I was going to bring it up. But uh, no one's going to say, oh, you need not to stop working. Upon. Right. You need to stop making money, John. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, so I think that, you know, you do. We, we switch around it, and it's very much dependent upon what society deems as acceptable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the addiction to... It's funny that how, like you said, certain addictions go unpunished, right? You can right. be addicted to work, and that's no big deal. No one's going to be mad at you. Um, I think some people are actually addicted to school. I know a lot of... You? Are you one of them? 
um, like a career. Well, but you're working towards a specific thing. But like, I, I know people that like, they just don't ever come out of school. They just keep another degree and another degree and another degree. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Really? That's you? <laughs> I'm like, if I could just be a, like a, an academic 24, like if right. I could just do, uh, like I'm actually thinking about like, what's going to be my next thing? Maybe neuroscience. Like, so I have, so I'm a recovery scientist, right? And yep. I, um, I have a colleagues of mine that are recovery scientists and you know they are like just love to learn yeah you know and so we actually i have a a a colleague of mine dr um, noel vest and um he does a lot of um recovery and like in in colleges Mm -hmm. so and he looks at that examines that for research and it's like hey i can say without a doubt that i went back to school when i had two and a half years and it has it has helped me to maintain my recovery as far as staying away from drugs and alcohol because it's like it's something I could put that energy towards, something I could focus on, and something that's like, hey, you know what? I, I had a bad day today. Let me learn about the brain, you know. Right. So, um, we call, oh, it's collegiate recovery now that's mm. come to mind, and and it's 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 a thing. It's a thing, but no one's gonna say anything about that, right? If it's an if it's an unhealthy way, right? You know, um, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you discovered your friend that had overdosed. Mm-hmm. Is that, is part of that like a, a wake up call also? Like, like where you look at it and go, like, I know you said your initial thing was like, oh, it might, you might feel like you need a drink or whatever, but is there also like a, wow, this is, this is what this can become. Was like that your first time of seeing like firsthand, like, fuck, this is the road that I'm on. So well, no, because I was... But you were already clean. But yeah. I mean, like, where you go, oh, my God, like, this is what this leads to. Like, it's one thing to hear it and read about it. It's another thing to discover it, see it, someone you know. Right. Well, I've lost a lot of people, too. Okay. Um, I mean, my, my stepfather passed right. away from a, um, a fentanyl overdose. Um, my, I lost an aunt. Um, I've lost tons of friends. I've lost, um, you know, uh, boyfriends, not mm-hmm. when I was with them, but... So, you know, uh, but I think um, the thing that, that messed me up the most is that, um, so they, um, we were pregnant at the same time with both of our kids, like at the same time. Mm. Uh, sorry. Oh my gosh, I got a tissue. It's okay. Um, and so I see now the, the aftermath that their kids are not going to have right. them. And they were phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal mother. I mean, I was envious of how much of a good mom that they were and how compassionate yeah and uh so you know i see it now and i will say that um last year was a hard year and there were times where i really wanted to use and there and i would just look at my daughters and i would go i can't do this to them i can't Mm -hmm. i cannot leave them behind and i and i don't want people to feel like when i say that that means that people who do end up using like you you know what i mean like that's not true if you already have children and you fall into addiction that's a whole nother ball game like kudos to you because that's hard the shame and the guilt that come with that is i'm sure is just absolutely insane you know my research my dissertation is on mothers and long-term recovery you know go figure um and how they manage their recovery with their parental responsibilities. And so I've seen a lot of women in particular because of the way society looks at, you know, moms taking care of children that um, they struggle, right? They struggle. Mm-hmm. They get their kids back. The responsibility of children is absolutely like, yeah. you know, insane. So it's like that responsibility can be so much. And it's like, I don't want to be responsible. I just want to escape from this. And yeah. Essentially the brain tells you, I yeah. know a great escape. Remember when we used to do this? Right. Let's do it. Right. 
And uh, if you don't have the 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 support, you know, I uh, I have an uh, me and my husband divorced, so he's my ex husband, but he's one of my best friends, and uh, you know he's huge. He has the girls right now. You know, he's huge support system. If I tell him I have to go to a meeting, he's like, all right, drop the girls off, you know, mm-hmm. because he knows like I have to take care of myself. But if you don't, any way you get back with him. We have tried multiple times. Oh my God, he's going to watch this. We have tried multiple times and I just, I don't know. No, it just doesn't work. He's a great person though. And I hope he finds someone that mm-hmm. um, makes him happy because he deserves it. Um, I met him when I had 15 months in recovery and um, meeting him changed my life. Uh, and I think that it's one thing about recovery, it's this growth, right? So I really, yeah. I was a very young, scared, essentially a little girl when I had 15 months. Now... Right. I'm coming up in 11 years. I'm more confident. I'm a grown woman. I, um, you know, I have a career. I'm more sure of myself. So me, I think that those that our relationship changed because of that. Yeah. But that's a big thing too. They always say like, don't get into a relationship while you're on that road. No, you disagree. I understand behind it that the, the concept is you can't handle the, the, the up and down. Right. I, I know like two people that, and I know a lot of people that have followed that advice. I didn't follow it. I think it's kind of um, irrational. So when you take away drugs and alcohol, you're taking away someone's like blanket, right? Right. And the brain is going to start searching for ways to feel that high again, right? So who doesn't feel high in the first beginning stages of a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That dopamines. Actually, the research shows that when you're in love, your brain looks like it's on cocaine. Really? Really. Wild, huh? Yeah. So it's so funny because whenever I meet someone, I'm like, okay, do I actually like like them or is my brain just... That's probably where the expression high on life comes right. from, right? Right. And then so it's like people are going to, you know, sex makes you, you know, they're going to search on these outside things to make them happy. In recovery in our, our community, I, I just say, dude, do whatever you want. Just don't use. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have to deal with some consequences, but just don't use. Yeah. Um, because I just don't think that's, that's not... Like, it's not practical, right? It's not practical. Yeah. No one's listening to that. Yeah. No one. I mean, two people that I know, and I still think they're, I'm like, you're like a rock star that yeah. you could do that. I think they, I think they worry though about if you're still in that unstable zone mm-hmm. and then you go down that road with someone else, it's most likely going to be someone you met maybe at rehab or whatever. And now you've got, you've just increased the odds. It's hard enough to come back and get straight. Now you're introducing someone else that's on the same road as you. So now what if you're okay, but then they're not. And then they, you know, I think that's why they say, they say to avoid it. Right. Yeah. I think that all of these suggestions are great, but they're not practical and that's not how people live. Right. So I like to talk to people about what the research says and what my experience has been and like what I've seen. And so, I mean, I know a friend of mine that, you know, I saw them and their, 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 their significant other, their, their boyfriend, they were using, like, they were, like, out there. And then they, you know, ended up, she got pregnant and they got clean, well, in recovery. So uh, I say in recovery because clean's for Narcotics Anonymous, but. Got it. Um, and uh, they're doing great. Yeah. They're doing great. Is that a common story? Uh, I don't know, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I think, too, you also have to remember that, like, some people take that and they're like, oh, I have to leave my wife or I have to leave my husband or I have to leave my partner. And that's not necessarily true, you know. So, um, you know, you have to do what you feel is right for you and what's going to work for you. What This is what I do know from my own personal experience in the science. Social support is huge. Mm-hmm. And social support within the community of people who are recovering. Because the reality is, is that no one understands addiction to drugs and alcohol better than someone who's lived it. 
I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. And that's anything in life. It's right? it's weird to me when there's therapists um, that haven't ever gone down that road, and then they're they're trying to counsel people. It's like I, I it just doesn't work for me. You know? Right. So I think that you know some of those therapists, their their um, the modalities that they use, the cognitive behavioral therapy, like that that's what they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I do think there there is a special place for lived experience, and I think that especially when it comes to the one of the, the the big huge thing when it comes to therapy is the therapeutic relationship is this trust right? right. Because I'm not going to tell you what I'm really thinking inside if I don't trust you right? right. So and that takes time to build. So I feel like so I have like this I could sit in a room with someone. And they could be crying, you know, in pain about their addiction. Then I could be like, oh, yeah, I'm a recovering heroin addict. I instantly have right. that connection with them. They know like, oh, this is someone who understands. Right. They know what you're going through. Right. right. So it's almost like it's a bypass. Like it's a it's a it's a it's like a superpower. Right. It's almost like having a football coach that didn't play football. It's like it doesn't make sense to me. Like you, you can't. Yeah. You don't you don't know. You might be a fan of the game. But if you haven't played it. You, right. You can't talk about you can to a certain extent. But. Same thing with like coaching fighters or whatever. If you if you haven't been in that cage or in the boxing ring, shut the fuck up. Like, right. But I also don't want to devalue the people who go into, you know, right. And because there are, I've had, um, you know, I had, I have um, PTSD, right? Mm -hmm. So from everything. Just, I mean, I probably we call it. It's not. This is not the DSM, but they there's a new thing, complex PTSD, which happens in childhood, mm-hmm. and then I have PTSD from specific things. So when I got to about five years in recovery, I had to start kind of like um, facing some of those things. So I had an amazing therapist who was, you know, mm. um, cognitive behavioral therapy, PTSD, and they helped me through a lot of things. Um, and so, that's ultimate, ultimately that you have to figure out why did you do what you did, right? Is that the, I don't know. You know, I think that I try not to hang out in the why I like oh, to be strength interesting. based. Who the hell cares? Was it cause it, so in science, right? When we do research, what we like to do is we do these, um, you know, statistics and these, um, methodologies where we set up where we can kind of like we can fact we can zoom in on what we think the factor is that's playing in this relationship, right? So we have to get rid of all these extra factors. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's so many factors that go into why someone becomes addicted and how that I think that it would what's it gonna do if I figure it out? There's no way to pinpoint it. There's no way to say, was it this moment? Was it that moment? I think it was a collection of moments. Agreed. That led here. And I'm an, and I have a problem. And what am I going to do? And how am I going to fix it? So I'm more of a strength-based person. Mm. I do think there's some, um, you know, looking back at some things, there is some sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Advantage, not advantage, but like comfort in knowing why. But it's really not as big as you think it's going to be. It's really? not like, yeah, no, it's not like, oh, you know, if someone could look back and said, this was the moment, I could be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. How is that going to, ch- how is that going to help me right now? Right. It's not. Well, just maybe it helps you avoid, I don't know, like, I feel like if you, if you, uh, if you're an alcoholic, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I guess it makes sense what you're saying, but I always looked at it like if you're an alcoholic, uh, you know, stress is what turns you to drinking or whatever. Like what, what was, what was the first triggers that made you turn to that? early on like what was going on that made you like at some point you got hooked so what was it that got you hooked right so stress doesn't lead to use 
okay. lack of coping skills for the stress. Everyone gets stressed. Right. Got if it. you're waiting to not be stressed. And <laughs> right. Good luck. Right. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. So it's not. Just it, avoid stress. Right. That's all you had to do. Just, Get out of here. Which is like, yeah. you know. Stay away from stress. You'll right. be fine. And stress, right, right, is essentially when your body's homeostasis is off kilter. So stress is not good or bad. We assign value to stress, right? So stress is anything that throws the body off that like that, that, that baseline, right? So like if you get excited, that's stress on your body. Yeah. It's just that you're, so that's why sometimes when people say it was a sunny day and I got excited and I used, it's like, yeah, because your body's in stress right your mind's stressed and maybe it just was like screw it we're having a great day let's just follow this thought along how many gamblers have you helped or talked to um have you dealt much with people who have gambling addiction so uh, just a preference too i'm not a uh i'm not being trained in clinical psychology right okay um, so I, I do have a clinical um bachelors and i and i have done some clinical work but but i just figure since you you put so much content out on instagram like you must have dms of people that they use drugs or alcohol or sex or shopping or whatever like i'm sure every addiction is in your dm right um so do you do you try to help some of those people or so to be honest with you i i I get a a lot of dms some of them are like hey what's going on you know right (laughs) so um I do try to point people in the right directions, but when it comes to gambling, my my um, experience has been with people who were once in reco- like who are in recovery for drugs and alcohol and turned to gambling. Interesting, right? And so gambling, and we were talking about earlier, is yeah. is, is is, and when you look at the hierarchy of if there was a hierarchy, it's yeah. actually um, anorexia. I believe is number one or number two. Yeah. Then there's gambling. And then there's uh, substances. Really? Really. It's So with gambling, it's based off of this. So if I was going to go get high, right, I know that every time I go get high, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm either going to feel a certain way. So that is like a reinforcement schedule that's, a, that's constant, right? With gambling, it's based off of an in- intermittent re- uh, reinforcement schedule, which is that I don't know if this is the moment I'm going to hit. Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest. Right reinforcement schedule to extinguish it is so hard because it's not like you just don't know when your time is coming right so gambling is like a whole nother beast gambling really is weird because there's there's the rush of winning Mm -hmm. there's also a rush of losing and then trying to get back to even and then hopefully after that then get to winning so even gambling when it's miserable you're in a sick, twisted, fucked up way. <laughs> you're still having fun. Obviously, you want to win, but there's a there's definitely a a drug that's happening, and so there's a rush that happens inside of you. Like, oh my god, I'm down. You know, I've been playing blackjack and I'm down twelve hundred dollars, but I got another twelve hundred to try to get back to even. And that dance is like romantic in a way. For it's your dopamine. Yeah. Your dopamine is surging, and you're waiting, and so. And you also the, the the psychology behind the machines, right? I mean, this is all stuff uh, like you know that is meant to get your dopamine going. It's meant yeah. the ping, yeah, the lights, 
Yeah. The envi- the, you can, I don't know what it's like in Vegas, but I know you can smoke in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The alcohol, the sexiness. Just, it's the, all flowing. It's just all of it is there. Yeah. And so, and once you, and once you get that first good win, yep. it's like that, some, it's almost like chasing that good high. Like 100%. I'll never get high. Right. My first high will never, yep. I'll never get that again. Chasing yep. the dragon, some people will call it. Yeah. And you're always looking for that. And yeah. so it's very, it, it's just really, it's, it's. It's absolutely fascinating from like a research point of view, yeah. but devastating. And as far as addictions are concerned. Yeah. It's, I have a female friend who just loves to play slots, mm-hmm. uh, moved here a few years ago. And, um, and it's, I've, I've watched, I've watched it happen, you know, where, where she just overdoes it. And then the depression comes, it's like that cycle. And then you get paid again. So you feel good. And then you go and mm-hmm. then maybe you win. So you feel like, okay, you know, and it's like, you just get caught up in that cycle of winning then losing then winning then losing and then the crazy losing you know shopping uh, you know depression right and as a woman i and you know i would say too what's dangerous is that at some point what would be the next step the next step would be like oh let me hang out with this guy let me hang out with this guy he likes to gamble or he likes to spend and like how far are you going to go to get that next dollar so that you could gamble right um and some people go really far yeah real far yeah i mean this town's built on it Right. T- literally built on slot machines. Right. All those palaces you see up and down that strip are really built off of slot machines. Right. So when I, so we have a, you know, a couple casinos and I go and we I was joking saying, I don't, I don't gamble with my own money. If right. someone, you know, but like I'm petrified and I, even when I've played the slot machines, I, it's so crazy because I know the psychology. I know the neuroscience behind it. I right. know, and I'm like what they're there, doing to you. And I'm still yeah. like this, and I'm right. like, this is not a good thing. It's yeah. even crazier when you know what's going on, right? And you're not even ignorant to the right. fact of what's going on. And they still get you, right? Yeah, super. And then, and it's like there's no lights. You don't know if it's daytime. You don't know if it's nighttime. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked at how many women gamble, right? Like excessively, like. Never, never knew. I, I had it really bad 20 years ago, like really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I went to a meeting and it was 50% girls in there. Oh, wow. I couldn't believe it. Well, I wonder too, if that's more of a societal thing where men are not allowed to admit that they're, they're vulnerable, that they're, that they, they have a problem. Yeah. So I do see that a lot with men, um, that they, you know, they have to be strong. They can't be where I, and it's crazy because to be in recovery is like the strongest thing. Like that you said that, that's attractive. That's like, wow, you weren't there yeah. to get help. You know what I mean? But a lot of people. But you like, know what happened? I got there and I felt like I didn't belong because I started hearing war, everybody's war stories. Yeah. And I mean, I couldn't believe the thing. There was a guy there. He had taken his tax return. Mm-hmm. This is back in, this is back in the day and this is in the nineties. And, uh, and he ran it through a typewriter, like a manual typewriter and added a zero on his tax return oh thinking he could get more money and obviously that didn't work out that wasn't going to work i mean on on this check you know on the check you know and that yeah that he put like white out whatever he figured out how to you know mm-hmm. yeah jail prison uh there was like one guy he was there he was shaking because you know it's like i haven't placed a bet and you know this guy was like i haven't placed a bet in like seven minutes or something he came right. straight from hollywood park racetrack he said it's so bad that he's got he put money on credit cards to gamble that the horses that he bet on some of them are dead they're not even alive anymore and he's still paying off the debt 
right from the horse. Like it's just crazy things. This one guy sold his mom's Cadillac. I mean, right. it's just unbelievable what people. So you you hear all these war stories, and it's like, well, I'm not that bad. Like yet. I'm not doing that yet. But you the yet you don't factor that in, right? Uh, or at least I didn't back then. And uh, yeah, and then I ended up not to the degree of anyone I just mentioned. But yeah, I definitely had a rough patch. And then now I don't have any, you know, now I'm able to, to do what I do and in, I hate that word moderation or whatever, but you know, I won't fuck myself over now, but we're back then for sure. Right. So, so what it sounds like when you're taking, so this is great topic because I think that when people think about addiction, they think, well, you know, if you were to go on my Instagram, you could see like I have pictures from when I was, when I had been incarcerated. Right. You're like, oh crap. Right. Right. But there's different severities of mm -hmm. addiction, you know, and clinically there's mild, moderate, and severe, you know, and what works for someone might not work for the other person. For instance, I practice a complete abstinence from all drugs and alcohol, right? Yeah. Because I was definitely on the severe end of the spectrum. And the research shows that people who have that type of severity probably need to stay away from substances but there are people who you would say are more of a moderate and they find a way to engage later on when they get more stability in moderation in some way shape or form so that's why when you see like um you know people they smoke marijuana like and it doesn't bother them they're okay you're like oh i used to you know use heroin or fentanyl and now i i smoke marijuana it's like i don't have that ability mm -hmm. so i focus on me so when people ask me about that i say listen I have a hard enough time keeping myself in line. At the end right. of the day, you have to figure out what works for you. Yeah. We do know that people who have severe addictions, which are actually a very small subset of people. So a, a study done by the Recovery Research Institute, and throw a little shout out to some of my friends uh, yeah. up there. Um, they are like the renowned group of recovery research researchers. And uh, they did a study, the first national study, where to find out who's in recovery. So there's essentially 22.5 million people who are in recovery, hmm. but only 46% of them will identify as being in recovery. Right. Because a lot of people think that recovery means that you had to do some sort of formal treatment. Mm. So, you know, let's say you're someone and you had a problem, you know, few years ago with cocaine and then one day you stopped and you like decided to go work out in their mind they're not like in recovery but from a clinical and research point of view we would say yes you are got it you know what i mean so yeah. uh, i mean obviously everyone decides for themselves if they want to attach that label because with that label comes stigma and all kinds of stuff but there's definitely you know recovery is out there and so, and, and I think it's important to emphasize that because there could be someone right now that's like listening and they could just, you know, they, they on the weekends, you know, and right. so they're like, but I'm not going to go to a meeting and you're right. Maybe going to a meeting isn't going to be great because you, you do hear a lot of war stories. Right. Um, you also hear a lot of recovery, but yeah, you yeah. know, and so, but maybe talking with a therapist is what's going to maybe doing mm -hmm. some online support groups maybe smart recovery which is um a very uh, uh cbt based peer support you know whatever that looks like for you so i think that's what so when i went to school i went you know i started going i realized that not only can i like you know do i love school but i get to like research the stuff that i love so yeah. that's how i came upon becoming a, a recovery scientist yeah for for me way back when Money always came easy to me, so I didn't respect the dollar. It wasn't until I really started, like, you know, I did stand-up comedy for 10 years, and, uh, you know, you're working 15, 20 minutes a night, you know, 
10 times a month or whatever, and you're getting crazy money to do it. It's, I almost, I used to say like, I was a stripper that couldn't get off the pole. Like I understand, I understand (laughs) dancers because when it comes that easy, if like you can make, you know, five to seven grand in a weekend, right. Working a total of 45 minutes, right. Which was my life. Mm -hmm. 45 minutes translates to, let's just say on the small end, three grand to seven grand, let's say, um, if I blow through that between even just taking people to dinner and playing blackjack, whatever, it's coming right back though next week. Right. Or in two weeks. Right. It's no big deal. Right. You know, was my mindset back then. So um, it wasn't until I started like a business and a company and had employees and had to be responsible to payroll and and rent and things like that. You know, office rent and home rent, you know, everything double, office phone and home phone. Right. When it doubled like that. And you realize how hard it is to make that money and what you have to do to to pull that all together and keep the staff alive and all that. Then is when I was like, okay, now I get, I can't do this other shit. Like now I get it. Right. Because now I didn't, well, like you said, like, you know, you with other people's money be one thing, but like, you know, when it's your money that you went and made and you know how, what you have to do to make it, that was made it easy for me to like change Right. So I did not respect the dollar. Yeah. Uh, my father's a tattoo artist. And uh, so fast money. Mm-hmm. My, I mean, my father is like, I've just seen my dad make, even to this day. Right. Make, actually, I have a funny story. Do you want to Yeah, hear? go, go. So I grew up in like, I had state lunches and I had like all that stuff. So like I had this sense of like um, poverty and, you know, didn't feel part of and didn't have the great clothes, whatever. So in my mind, we were always poor. But um, my dad came over, did a, a tattoo party for my friend's. What was it like two, last year? Yeah, and I'm sitting there and I go, wait a second, you just made like at least a hundred dollars an hour. And a very, he and he looked at me, and goes, oh yeah. He's like, we weren't poor. I just suck at managing money. Wow. My whole life changed. So now I send him little messages like, Dad, send me a hundred bucks. Send me a hundred. Like he just laughed. I'm like, no, no, you need to send me uh-huh. money. I know you got money over there, old right, man. You better right. cut it out. But so yeah, I had fast money too as a dancer, and then. Um, it wasn't until I, I I went on my own and I had my two daughters and I looked at my daughters and I was like, I want to set them up better than what I was set up. And, yeah. and you know, no no bash on my my, mm-hmm. my mom and my dad because they really are amazing people. And to be honest with you, if I didn't have the mom and the dad that I have, I don't know if I would have been able to find recovery. Right. Um, so, you know, and so like I, I look at my girls though and I'm like, okay, you, you, you got to be a little smarter than this, you know, than when it comes to money because it's just... That's the reality of it. And so drug dealing, people who deal drugs, yeah. um, a lot, we would look at that sometimes as addiction. You're addicted to the money. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which is like, you know, like kind of like, what? That doesn't even make sense. And it's true. Yeah. A lot of people. The who, lifestyle, right? Right. You don't have, I mean, who wants to work? A, I mean, some people, I work a nine to five, right too. But like, I like the, this stuff. Right. Right. I like going places, doing things, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And so it's like they. And or their family, they fall into it because of family, they need to feed their kids or whatever, you know. So there's a lot of things behind drug addiction. I mean, uh, drug dealing that's very close to addiction, if not the same thing. Yeah. Well, wow. I just looked at the clock. I didn't realize this flew by so fast. I know we talked. Um, yeah, this was great. You definitely need to come back. We need to do more oh of this. God, yes. Um, you need to start your own podcast. I know. I thought about what it. What are we doing? I'll do it. I was thinking about it. I'm like, why yeah. not? Why not? I should. I should. Yeah. I mean, you know what I want to do? I want to bring people who are actually like, I want to bring like professionals because I know professional people. I want to yeah. bring scientists. I want to bring regular people. I want to bring people who are actually in active addiction that yeah. are like, 
struggling and have them i mean as long as it's not going to hurt them right. like but if they want to come and share like i think that's important you know i think yeah. it's important that we hear from everyone and not just the people that we think like know it all because the reality is we don't all know it all yeah well roxanne this was fun thank you so much for fun. coming in i thank love that you so came much. in to do this like it's just it's amazing i know yeah like, all right gang uh we'll see you next time chase is going to end the show right now i don't know how he does it but he <laughs> does that <laughs>